This is the Wave Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love for you to join us in person Sunday mornings at 10.30. Visit us online at wayfamily.church. Amen and amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts. We're going to almost get to the end here. In fact, today, I don't know about you, but I just, it's, it feels so good to come together, especially in times like this, you know, where we need each other, where people are going through things, and unless we come together, we don't know them, you know? This is, this is the beauty of being part of a church body, is that we can um, comfort one another, encourage one another, uh, mourn with one another, grieve with one another, etc., right? And so I'm just reminded of the early church, right, in the book of Acts. And I think back, wow, everything that's happened. You know, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and then he says, it's time for me to go. And how devastated they must have felt after experiencing everything that they had experienced with Jesus. But then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. The Holy Spirit will come, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses everywhere, is what the promise was. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit comes, and as we read Acts, we see this beautiful narrative of how the early church was founded. It started with the apostles, right? Those who were sent, those who walked and witnessed Jesus, walked with Jesus and witnessed Jesus. It started with them. And then we read about Peter, this, this, this leader who out of nowhere is just preaching with such great power, right? And then from Peter, we see the church kind of just continue to grow. And you have different folks like John and James who end up being persecuted, right? And and James is killed by the sword. And and so there's this diaspora because there's also this persecution of the church by one who's called Saul of Tarsus. This diaspora meaning the dispersion of people, right, who were believers in Jesus Christ. But because they feared for their lives and because they wanted also to protect the message of the gospel, they just took off to the ends of the world. And so this same Paul who, or Saul who persecuted the church then has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ himself. And he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And, and that changed everything for Paul. And so the narrative goes from the apostles to Peter. And now we're looking at Paul, the ministry of Paul, right? And so that's what we've been reading. And we've read, we're reading how God is able to take something and change it into something totally different. You know, if you think about Paul's journey and his life, who he was, how he grew up, you know, his upbringing, you would think that he had a pretty privileged life, you know. Not very many were invited to go into the synagogue and to be uh, trained up by the greatest of teachers. The, he was. And he was, he benefited from that. And he was so good at it. He said that he was the best of the Pharisees. He's, he knew that of himself, right? And then he goes and what he thinks he's, he's doing the right thing turns out to be the worst thing he could have done against the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was persecute the church. But there's redemption, you see, God turns, he makes beautiful, beautiful things out of ashes. And I think that's something just to acknowledge and to think, wow, we serve a mighty God, one who has the ability to create things. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in science and I like to kind of look into things and make sense of things. You know, recently my friend Alan asked me, hey, what do you think of dark matter? You know what I mean? And so just to look into things like that. But But one of the things that fascinates me is that, yeah, science has advanced so much, but it has not conflicted with Scripture. To me, that's 
amazing. And the other thing that fascinates me is that science has accomplished so much, but nothing can create life except for God himself. And so if you think about these little things, God just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger, right? And there's answers to so many questions if we just seek him, if we just ask him to reveal these things to us. And that's what the Lord does with Paul more and more. And Paul, faithful servant, goes and he preaches to the ends of the earth to the point where he's willing to give up his life for this. And so that's kind of acts in a whole, right? And so we see Paul's journey. He has moments of triumph where people are coming to the Lord. You know, he has friends. Churches are being established everywhere throughout the edges of the known world, the Roman world, right? But then there's also moments of trial. We have peaks, we have valleys. And Paul knows the peaks and he knows the valleys, right? In fact, he knows the valleys all too well because he faced so much persecution. The, the cost of serving Christ is something, you know? He was despised, he was hated, he was sought after because people disagreed with the message that he preached. This is Paul. And so now, as we dive into this chapter 26, he is under custody of the, Rome, of the Roman Empire. Why? Because people are accusing him of breaking several laws, of which all he has found, been found innocent, right? However, we saw that he pled to Caesar. Now, as a Roman citizen, you have that right to plead to Caesar. That means regardless of what anyone finds, you have that right to go to the emperor himself. And so that's what's happened to Paul. He has pled to Caesar regardless of whether or not he was found innocent. Last week we saw that Agrippa said, hey, this man is it. If you didn't plead to Caesar, you could have been freed, Paul. But he pled to Caesar, and I think it's fascinating they did that. There's really reasons, the real reasons for what he did. One, he longed to see Rome, and that's evident in the scriptures. And two, what better opportunity that to preach than to be able to preach in front of the emperor of Rome himself, right? And so see, this is what matters to Paul these opportunities to be able to expand the kingdom. And so what I want to do today is slightly different. I'm going to read the passage and kind of just explain a couple of things that are happening because this particular passage has a lot of nautical verbiage or lingo, meaning if you're, unless you're a sailor, you don't really understand everything that's going on there, okay? So I'm going to try to break it down, make sense of it, and then we're going to go back and see what's going on, how we can apply these, these, this, this narrative to our lives, Amen. So let me do that. Let's, let's go ahead and read it. Open your Bibles to chapter 27 of Acts. Now he's under Roman custody. It is the time, finally, it's the time to leave Caesarea and to go to Rome. And so it says in verse 1 of 27, And when it was decided that we should sell for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now this Augustan cohort, it's a re there's a reason why it's there. This is the actual uh, a cohort that is under the direct command of the governor. It's 600 Syrian soldiers, okay? And this Julius guy, obviously named after the emperor because there was Julius Caesar, very, very world renowned. But you're looking at a very high capacity I'll say group of soldiers. This is the type of custody that Paul's put under. Now, mind you, Paul has not been condemned. He is not guilty. He's not been found guilty. So he's going to be treated a little bit different, but he nevertheless, he's in this, this, this boat full of prisoners. All right. 
And so that's what we have going on. They're getting into this boat under this uh, custody of this Augustan cohort. And then verse two, it says, and embarking in a ship of Adramitium, that's just a ship from that area, uh, which is just north of Ephesus, uh, west coast of Turkey, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. So they get into there and it says, and we put to sea, we meaning Luke is there. All right, Luke is present and he was accompanied by Aristarchus, whom we've also read about previously. In fact, Aristarchus was taken by the Ephesian mob, if you remember that, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. I hope you're, you're catching on here. I'm trying to explain it as we read it. So let me know if I need to slow down at any moment, okay? And it says in verse 3, The next day we put, on, put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly. And he gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. So they arrive at this place called Sidon. And Julius, it says he treated Paul kindly. Check, read, look at what is happening here. Julius is saying, Paul, even though you're under my custody, you can go hang out with your friends. So they arrive at this port at Sidon. And Paul is able to go and meet with his friends. By, by the way, in Sidon, he had passed there with, with Barnabas throughout his first missionary journey, and he stopped there to encourage the church there. So we know that he had friends there. All right. So what a beautiful benefit, just God's favor over Paul and just being able to take care of him. And so the favor that this Julius uh, uh, centurion finds in, in Paul is, I think it's just remarkable, those little things to be thankful for. Just catch those little things. We'll go back and, and talk about it. Note, Paul is not by himself. Who's with him? Aristarchus, his friend. Luke, the physician. And he has found favor in the centurion. Wow, be thankful for the little things. Remember, we're going to talk about a storm. All right? So let's have the perspective. Paul's about to embark into something that at this point, I don't know if he understands what he's, he's going to get into, but nevertheless, let's not make little of the, the little things that we, can, we, we should be grateful for. And it says in verse 4, And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the Lee of Cyprus. Now, I had to look up what the Lee of Cyprus was. Do you guys know what a Lee is? Anybody? A Lee is the, the, the protected side, the sheltered side of something. So, for example, if there's a wind coming from the east, let's say, um, and you're being protected by something, this is the lee of that, all right? So they're sailing through the lee of Cyrus, which means that the winds are hitting them hard, and so this is the best way to go, the protected side of, Cyrus, of Cyprus, excuse me. And it says there, because the winds were against us, verse 5. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. It says in verse 6, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Let me tell you a little bit about this ship. The ship is from Alexandria, which is one of the major cities in Egypt. Okay? This is a big boat. This is a ship. Now, later we're going to read that there was over 200 people on this boat. Okay? This is not the little fishing boat that Jesus was sailing in. Okay? This is a big ship. And it's a grain ship. This is a cargo ship. I think previously we talked about the fact that people couldn't book cruises back in the day. It wasn't like, hey, let me see what boat's going where and get a ticket and it'll be nice. No, you, got, you had to find a cargo ship that was going somewhere already. That's how it worked. Now, fortunately, these people had power, jurisdictive power. So if they said, hey, we're going to get in your boat, you're going to get in the boat. All right, but this is what happens. They found this big Alexandrian boat. 
And so uh, that was sailing for Italy, which is exactly where they're trying to go. They're trying to go to Rome. And it says in verse 7, we sailed, listen to the language here, pay attention to the language. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Difficulty, slow, hard. Is it not true that when we're going through trials, life just slows down like crazy? Because when we're having a blast, life goes fast really, like, it's like, oh, it's over. Right, kids? We're playing right before service, and then service comes, you're like, right? So when we're going through a trial, some, some, something hard, it's, time just seems to slow down, and it just gets harder. And we'll kind of explore a little bit of why that is. In verse 9, it says this, And since much time had passed, again, just slower, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. This fast, by the way, they're talking about the Day of Atonement, which usually happened in the late fall. So winter is upon them. All right. So they're saying, hey, uh, this is not a good sign for us to be sailing at this time because usually this is the end of sailing season. You do not want to get on the Mediterranean Sea at this time. Did you know that there's many hurricanes in there? You know, as I was reading this passage, I I had no idea that little hurricanes could develop in the Mediterranean Sea because it's kind of land, land, uh, you know, surrounded by land. But they actually, they're called medicanes. They're slightly smaller than a real hurricane in the ocean. Nevertheless, there's crazy storms that develop there. And so this is just about that season. And they're, they're knowing this. And so it says this in verse 10. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Now, who's Paul? He's an apostle, right? He's a Pharisee. He's educated. He's a scholar, let's say. And now he's giving advice to a bunch of sailors. What kind of, what kind of authority does this guy to be able to have advice, or to give advice? We'll go back to that. But he says, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid, no, paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in it, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. And on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, if you have a Bible map, I encourage you to open to that page so that you can see the journey to Rome, so that you could see how uh, close it was for them to, uh, to, from Fair Havens to Phoenix. You know, Fair Havens is not too far from Phoenix, and they thought, we could just go over there, right? But we see that that wasn't even possible because of the weather. And so, Paul saying, I perceive this is going to be, you shouldn't do that. And it says in verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in it, the majority decided to go to sea. So majority rules here, right? And on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Verse 13, this is where the storm really starts starting or kicking in. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, 
they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster. Guys, that's the Medicaid. <laughs> the Northeaster is a wind that comes down from the north and from the east, and so it does this thing. <laughs> All right? I, I was practicing last night, and Sandy thought I was being silly. I was doing this kind of thing, you know, um, it, from the north, and then this would be your east, right? And it kind of just does this, and there's beautiful pictures. You can see even satellite images of how these storms actually kick in. In fact, back in 2017, they had a big incident with one of them. It wrecked many towns around there. But this is that type of storm. So this is not a little storm. This is a huge one. The northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. 16. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently tossed, or since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest laid on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Who's writing this? Luke. What is he saying? All hope has been abandoned. And then, I mean, come on. It says, all hope at last, like everyone is getting to the point where they're hopeless. I hope that you're getting this picture here. You're just following along with that. Don't make little of the actual situation that they're dealing here with. 21, since they had been found with, or excuse me, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood, upon, stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. And you, have, and you, sh you should not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Again, God reaffirming the promises that he would go to Rome, that he would stand before for Caesar. And Paul, you can see that he believes it 100%. And then he says this, And behold, God has granted you all, those who sailed with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that I, it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. What does that mean? That means we have to crash the ship to be able to survive. So there's going to be loss here, guys. Okay? We must run aground on some island. 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. That's a measurement. That's how you measure the depths. A fathom is equivalent to six feet. So 20 fathoms would be 120 feet. All right. And then a little further on there, they took a sounding again and they found 15 fathoms. That means it's getting a little bit shallower. Now they're about 90 feet. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern. The stern is the back of the boat. And they prayed for day to come, 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, 
and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the boat. Now read, it says that they're laying the ship's boat into the sea. That's kind of like a lifeboat. It was also used to tow the bigger ships to harbors. Okay, this is what they're lowering. Or at least that was the pretense of what they were doing, right? Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay, remember the sailors are trying to get away, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it go. 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take food saying, today is the 14th day and you have continued in suspense and without food. Imagine, 14 days, they haven't eaten anything. You know that that's, a, that's pretty reasonable to be in that situation? There's two reasons. One, obviously, the adrenaline's kicking. They're trying to fight for their lives. But two, when you're in the sea and you're dealing with big waves, you get seasick. So there's absolutely no appetite to eat anything anyway. And so Paul recognizes this. Is you're, you're going a long time and you haven't even been fed. This is not good. And it says, therefore, in 34, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when we had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. What is Paul doing right now? He's in the middle of a storm. Everything's falling apart. He's breaking bread and he's giving thanks to God. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? That's something that is literally so hard to do sometimes when you're in the middle of the storm to give thanks to God for the little things. And so he broke the bread and began to eat in 36. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. 37. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. Now, I don't know if you have a note there. It says that some manuscripts says 76 persons. I did a little research and I thought, okay, which is it? 76 or 276? The earlier manuscripts, the, the, the most ancient manuscript says 276. And then I found out that it was not uncommon for ships to haul that many people. So I'm going to go with 276, okay? <laughs> so they, they, there was 276 persons in the ships, 38. And then when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea, 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow, the, I'm sorry, the bow is stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. Why would the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners? Because it was their responsibility to detain them, right? And so if a prisoner got away, they would be shamed at the very best. They would be shamed or they could pay for that prisoner with their lives. Got it? So it was better to kill them than for a prisoner to escape. It says, lest anyone should swim away and escape. But 43 says this, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on the planks or in pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. That was a lot, wasn't it? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. 
in your word. We've read about it. We've understood a little bit about it. Help us understand how this applies to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here we are. A storm. This is crazy. Literally a storm. And we all go through these things, don't we? No one is exempt from going through life storms. Nobody. And so some of us deal with them better than others. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not very good at dealing with storms. I'm learning about it a little bit. And going through this passage was huge for me. And so what I'd like to do now is I want to go back and show you some takeaways that I got here because there's a lot to learn from what's happened here. So if you don't mind, let's backtrack a little bit. I don't think I'm taking too, am I taking too long already? Okay, perfect. The first point here is that you are not alone in the storm and that we can thank God for the little things. As we saw there in verse, in the first verses, Paul is not by himself. Yeah, he's with a bunch of prisoners, but there's favor in him, right? He's not a convicted felon, let's say. And so he does have a little bit of privileges. What are those? He has his friend Aristarchus, who probably was there as a bond servant for Paul. And then he had a physician named Luke. And so I want you to know something, whether you're in the storm or whether you're not, but especially when you're in the storm, look for the green lights. Isn't it true that when we're driving, we, we notice all of the red lights, right? Ah! How many green lights did you drive through to get here? Some of you, not even a single light because you're so close, right? Right? But how many green lights did you drive through? See, sometimes we don't notice the green lights. We just notice the reds. We just count the reds and we think, this is so awful. There's so many red lights. It's taking me forever. But when have you actually count the green ones, right? This is just a little, you know, something to help you think about, hey, there's a blessing in every storm. And for Paul, he had his friends. He wasn't by himself. He could have said that he was all by himself. And by the way, he was surrounded by hundreds of prisoners, probably like real convicted, convicted criminals. And then you're probably asking, why are these prisoners going to Rome as well? Did you know that the Colosseum, they liked to play games at the Colosseum and a lot of them had... You know, they, they, they served as gladiators or bait for the animals. And so this is what he was going into, Paul. And so n knowing that there was a potential for him to end up like everyone else, guys, Paul was there. I mean, Luke was there. Aristarchus was there. And then now this Roman centurion is showing favor over Paul. The point is he's befriending them. That's God's providence again. You can't make this stuff up. You can't, you can't. Um, uh, formulate this. God just does it for us. This is all in his sovereignty. So remember this, you are not alone in the storm. Isaiah 41 10 says this, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your, I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise of God. All right, so we can take comfort in that. Deuteronomy 31 6 says this, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be I can't even read my writing. It says, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen? These are the little things that we ought to be thankful for. And it's so easy to dismiss this when we're in the storm, isn't it? We don't think about these things. We don't think about, okay, who are my friends right now? Who can I go to? Who can I actually talk to? Who can I just sit next to? You know, you're not alone, especially because God promises that he's with us as well. Amen? The next thing that I see here is that, again, everyone has peaks and valleys. No one's exempt from the storms. So prepare for much difficulty. We can prepare that in this life we will continue to have trials and difficult moments. 
Matthew 7, 24. Let's go there really quick. Do you have your Bibles? Matthew 7, 24. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about the foundations, the wise man and the foolish man. And it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, I want you to note verse 25. Jesus is saying this. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. That's not an if. That is a when. This is why it's important for us to build our house on the rock and not the sand because the winds will come. Because the tempestuous storm will hit us. And so we read here that those who build their house on the rock, their house will stand. They'll be able to endure the storms or the trials of life. But those who build their house on the sand may not. They'll have greater tragedy. Amen. So prepare for much difficulty, which means take your time. Do it right. Right. Dive into the word. Know his promises. Know how to build on that rock. And then uh, further along in Matthew chapter 8, 23, and I think this is amazing, just so that you know who Jesus is and the kind of power and authority that he has. Now, in chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus calms the story. It says this, And when he had gotten in the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Then when they woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and then there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Paul's in the same situation. Did Paul say, winds, I rebuke you? Did he say that? No. Did he say, cease, no, no more winds? No. Why? Because he's not Jesus, right? He... He had built his house on the rock to the point where he was ready for whatever the storm. But Jesus, however, had the power to just fall asleep in the middle of the storm. See, for, for Jesus, there's nothing too hard. For Christ, your storm is a piece of cake. All right. He gets up and he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you've little faith. And he gets up and he says, peace be still. And that's the kind of authority that Jesus has. That's the kind of authority that God has, that even the waves and the weather obey him. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's the kind of God that has our back, that is promising to protect us and to be our fortress and our shelter. Psalm 9, 9 through 10 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And I want to show you something. Look at this picture. This is a painting called um, Peace in the Storm. Now, I want you to see the full picture because it's saying a lot. You can see that there's raging rapids kind of just rolling through rivers, waterfalls. You can, you can tell that there's a lot of force. There's a lot of power in the movement of waters. There's lightning. There's darkness. There's storm. But there's something very special about this photo that I want you to notice. And that's right here. I'm going to point it out here. Zoom back again right here within the midst of all this storm you have this little shelter this little fortress and if we zoom into that it's a dove nesting its chicks and whether it's in the middle of the storm there's a stronghold there that's just protective and we that's that's how the lord cares for us you know it's not about getting rid of the storm because the storms actually help us grow 
and help us mature in faith, but it's about finding shelter in our time, of, finding that, that place where we are comfortable, where we're safe. And I love this picture because it says so much. It doesn't matter what's happening in life. You're, you're going to be okay. The Lord is our shelter in our time of need. Amen? And so that's, that's what I see as we're going through this passage. And then the next thing I see here is it's important to listen to wise counsel. Now remember, Paul says, hey, I perceive that there's going to be much damage, much loss. And we wonder, like, what kind of what kind of rapport did this guy, like what kind of experience did this guy have? And so you saw that the centurion didn't listen to Paul. They listened to the pilot, right? The, the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship. You would think that there was more experience there. But did you know that Paul wasn't saying this because he just perceived it, but he said it because he had much experience with sailing as well? And not just that, he had much experience with shipwrecking as well. Check this out. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians uh, 11, 25, and 26, it says, this is just a little bit of the, the storms that Paul has gone through. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now, he wrote this before this happened. So this is shipwreck number four for Paul. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And it says, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, Danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, etc. He goes on. If you want to read that passage, you can see the kind of things that Paul has dealt with. He's speaking out of experience. The reason why he perceives that there might be much damage here is because he knows a thing or two, because he's lived a thing or two. So it's important for us to listen to those folks. And I don't know if you caught it, but in the beginning... The centurion didn't quite pay attention to Paul, but as time progressed, did you notice that everyone was doing what Paul was saying to do? Did you notice that he rose as a leader? Because two things. One, he had experience. He had the confidence that everything's going to be okay. He was probably the only one without a panic because even Luke lost all hope. Okay, And then even when, when they were all in suspense, he was the only one who had his right mind on and says, hey, you haven't eaten for 14 days. You should probably eat something. Right? And so he rises as a leader, someone who's wise, someone who you can definitely depend on their experience and wisdom, and they're, they're confident in what they're saying, especially because he's hold on and held on to the promises of God, of Jesus Christ. He knows, based on what Christ has said, we're going to be all right. All right? That, those are the people that we need to seek counsel from. And see, the problem is that many times we do, and we go to the professionals, as the centurion did. But did you know that there's so many professionals that even conflict themselves and they're in the part of the same field? So who do you trust today? Everyone's a professional today. Everyone has a degree from YouTube University, right? But those who spend time in the word of God, those who know the promises of the Lord, those are the ones who can give wise counsel. In fact, Proverbs 19, 20, 21 says, listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the kind of counsel that we need to seek. That's important for us, especially in the storm, especially we're in that time of turmoil. We need to be able to listen to wise counsel. Now, I want you just to think about this really quick. This is a fact. Did you know, did you know that 80% of statistics are made up? <laughs> just kidding. That was a joke. But this is, this is a fact that's something that I looked up and I thought, huh, that's interesting. Do you know that more people spend more time trying to decide over a menu than on bigger decisions like a car or a house? 
we're alone. Did you know that? That more people are more likely to sit down and go through a restaurant's menu once, twice, three times, four times over, and still they don't know what they want. But when it comes to getting a loan, buying a house or getting a car, I like it. Let's go. They don't inquire. They don't actually take the time to think about things. Can you kind of see that as, as true? You know? You know, I look at my wife and I think, man, she takes forever to drive through. Sometimes I wonder, like, are we ever going to eat? <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes we just don't give thought where we need to give thought. And it's important for us to listen to wise counsel. Let's move on. The next thing is that we need to get rid of an unnecessary weight. Now, the storm happens. They're worried about the situation of the boat, so they start chucking things over. You know, we need to do that, too. There's sometimes things that are weighing us down in our, in our storm, and it's okay to let go of those things. L listen to what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before us, he endured the cross, despising the shame and, the, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, that sin sometimes bogs us down. And sometimes we think we need it. And sometimes we think we want it. And sometimes we think it's not a big deal. And so the storm kind of drags out. And so it takes longer for us to actually get to safety. Or it's more likely that we actually hit something and crash. And so what we see here is that they start throwing things off board. They're trying to weigh the ship off the water because the heavier the ship is, the closer the, the, the stern is to the, the, the ground. And the lighter the ship is, the higher it floats on water. And so it's important for us to be able to let go of those things. And, and, and also, it's also not only necessary to get rid of unnecessary weight, but to also harness ourselves with necessary support. And so James 1, 2 through through six says, count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when you're going through a trial, count it all joy. Rejoice for that. Well, that's not cool, right? <laughs> because it produces steadfastness, steadfastness, something that won't break you down eventually. The more you go through trials and the more you overcome and the more you come out on the better side of it, the less likely it is to bog you down. I'm gonna show you a picture of the boat. It says that after they threw things here, I believe it was, uh, let me try to find the passage. Yeah, so they, they were trying to get away, and, and then they, uh, they, they got rid of the things, and then they, they tied the stern up with some important supports. Do you have a picture of the boat? Okay, so this is, kind of, this is a really good picture of what the boat might have looked like. And I want you to note something. Now, here are the anchors that they had in, in, in the back of the boat. But notice these right here. This is very important, and this is what we ought to do a lot with our lives. Those are ropes that are tied up around the ship, especially in time of trouble, because it reinforced the integrity of the ship. That's what we have to do with our lives. We need to be able to reinforce our lives with truth, with the things that are valuable, with real things, you know, to count it all joy and to consider the fact that this trial is actually going to do well for us. But we can only do that if we're thinking right. If we're actually listening to right counsel, if we're being grateful for the little things, then we will find that we have that support that's required to be able to endure the storms. But it's important to get rid of that unnecessary weight and to get that necessary support. So when you are in a trial and a storm, sometimes what we do is the worst thing we can do, like sit down and just scroll, right? Or go out for a drink or get into drugs 
or binge some show forever. You know what I mean? Those are not helpful things. The helpful things are to get out, to have a conversation with someone, to seek counsel as we talked about, to dive into the word of God and to understand the truths that he has for us. And then we'll be well girded, well supported to be able to endure the waves of the, of the storms. Amen? All right. The next thing I want to share with you is be filled by the bread of life. When we're going through trials, it's important for us to have our fill. Now, these men were at sea for, for over 14 days without food. That's crazy. Again, they didn't have an appetite for it. How many of you guys ever feel like going to your Bibles when you're going through a bad time? I don't. Sometimes that's the last place we go, and it's the very first place we should go, right? It says, take your fill with bread. Like, Jesus is the bread of life, you know, and sometimes what we do is not that. We starve ourselves and we wonder why we're not strong enough, why our faith is so dull, so weak. In John 6, chapters, or chapter 6, verse 32 to 35, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the bread, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus gives life to the world. The word of God gives life to the world. This is the, the, the very thing that sustains us. So why rid ourselves of this when we're in trouble, when we're in trial? Let us be filled by the bread of life. And then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. So we're in when trial. This is what we need to do. Let's discover Jesus more. Let's go to him. Let's ask him for that strength. And we will be filled and we will be comforted and we will have the energy, that life that we need to be able to endure. Amen? And we saw that they did this. And he gave thanks in the middle of the storm. And they were all encouraged because that's also contagious. When we come to the Lord and one person has strength in the middle of the storm, that's contagious. We can do that. We can lift each other up, uh, encourage one another in times of trial. And then finally, seek solid ground. You know, verse 39 through, 40, through 44, as, as, they're, as they find that beach, you know, it's important for us to, to do what they did. It's like, hey, there it is. Whatever we have to do, cut the anchors off. Put the, the front sail up. We're going to drive this ship over there. And you know what? It's okay. If your faith is in the ship, you're going to be very disappointed. But if your, shape is, if, if your faith is in the Lord, you're going to be all right. All right? It is not the ship that is our lifeline. Sure, is it important? Yeah, but there's a time where everything just kind of comes to an end. It could be a job. It could be your house. It could be something, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're dating and if it's not good, it could be that relationship. Sometimes we have to do the hard thing. Find solid ground means, hey, this is what's good. This is what's right according to the word of God. And it's okay to let go of things. It's okay to see some things just go away for the sake of us being able to stand firm because there are certain things that do bog us down. There are certain things that do divert us from the things that we ought to be focusing on. Does that make sense to you guys? Now, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is how it's changing my life. Now, remember, you're not alone in the storm. Prepare for much difficulty. Listen to wise counsel. Get rid of unnecessary weight and get necessary support and be filled by the bread of life. And then finally, seek and stand on solid ground. And that's right here. So going back to Matthew, the wise man builds his house on the rock. Amen. That's where we need to be. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, and I tell you, you are Peter. 
and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the storm cannot knock out the ground, the solid ground. When, when you translate this to the original language, it says this, and I tell you, you are Petros, which means you are a rock. And on this Petra, this bedrock, I will build my church. That bedrock is what we need to build in, okay? Because it's going nowhere. Because you've seen it, you've seen the videos, you've seen the, the pictures. It doesn't matter how big the wave is. It'll crash into the rock and that rock's going nowhere. That's the end of the wave right there. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to stand. That's what we need to build, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful example that we have here in the scriptures of how we can learn from just the saints in, in, in past. I ask, Father, that you would help us through these storms as they're promised, they're guaranteed. But Lord, we thank you that you've made a way for us to be able to endure, that your promises are to keep us, Father, according to your will. If you've called us to something that we will know and we will see that through, we should not be afraid of regardless of what's happened. Because even if this life came to an end, we know that there's something to look forward to. So Lord, I ask you that you would give us strength, that you would give us the ability to just hold fast to you, to consume the bread of life, to be filled with the Spirit, Lord Jesus, to, to take mind of those little things and know that we're not alone ever, and to just brace ourselves and be well supportive and, and, and allow us, Lord Jesus, to get rid of the things that are just not helpful for us. Lord, we want to stand on you. We want to be firm, Lord Jesus, in everything that we do and say, and that it would ultimately bring you honor and glory. Our lives are yours. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.